0: Hello and welcome to ProductWise Podcast. This is Alexandra Dinella, your host, and today we've got a very special guest, Anushree Sharma. Anushree is a running CPO at New, the world's first clothes-sharing and swapping app. She's a passionate product leader with experience across a range of product roles at a variety of early-stage startups. Her experience is spanning across e-commerce, healthcare, travel, fashion in America, India, and now in the UK. Today, we're going to talk about user-centric design, learning points from building products across a variety of countries, and a sustainable future. Anushree, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super hyped for this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This is exciting. Um, it's my first po-
1: podcast as well, so I'm quite excited to be
0: here. Brilliant. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll have an amazing second conversation with you already since, since I uh, was lucky enough to, to already had a quick chat with you uh, beforehand. But uh, of course, yeah. you know, there's there so much in your experience that I'd love to double click. So, um, you know, we, we haven't touched actually upon one of the points is, uh, you know, how did you get into the product management? How did your career start within the field? yeah
1: so it was pretty much by accident so i graduated um in engineering um and uh, like with a double major in engineering and entrepreneurship um and graduated from oregon state uh in the us and uh in one of the classes there was a guest speaker called samuel blackman um who was the founder of elemental unfortunately he passed away a few years ago but a very very dynamic um gentleman who did a lot for the uh, the startup community over in Portland. Um, I was kind of very impressed by him. And, um, so I just went up to him after class and I said, Oh, you know, I'm interested in, in doing an internship. Um, and he was very nice about it. He said, you know, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, and at the time it was a very small team and, uh, the position that was open was a QA engineering intern. So I ended up doing, um, uh, that, uh, the subsequent year I again, uh, returned to Elemental Technologies. Um, and that was the year that I actually did product management. Um, and then I think after that, I was just, um, I kept going from one product management role to another. Um, also Elemental, I think was very pivotal because it ended up becoming a part of Amazon. Um, and even the subsequent year that I returned, it had become a very huge team. So there was like a, a you know massive difference between coming back to it as a junior and then coming back to it as a senior. Um, and then literally, yeah, it's just been that for the last like 12, 10 to 12 years almost. Um, so just, uh, since then I've worked, um, a lot quite, um, I mean, in India with a lot of different growth state startups. Um, and then I'm, I moved to the UK for my master's and now I'm, I'm here.
0: <laughs> mm. yeah. And naturally, you've, you know, a, about a year ago, you've, uh, you know, you've joined Nuve, which I think is is um, kind of a pinnacle of, of your of your current career when it comes to the purpose, um, the product itself and the opportunity of building something from scratch was, which is always, you know, golden. So, one yeah. of the core aspects that new wardrobe of course has is the notion of the sustainability um could you walk me through you know what new standing for what's the mission uh ultimately why you've yeah. joined and how you're building the the product and how you go about that yeah so yeah i mean the basic idea that we always
1: say with new is like we're de- redefining the new um, um, I mean, it is built by a very strong and powerful community um, of of individuals that are focused on making um, fashion sustainable, um, affordable, and uh, sort of you know unlimited. Um, our founder Ashling, like on a trip to India, uh, was very moved by you know uh, by the working conditions of 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 uh, people working in fast fashion. I think there was also an accident. Um, in one of the factories uh, which really I think impacted her.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, we we already know that the clothing industry has a devastating impact um, on the environment because there is no sustainable alternative when it comes to fast fashion. Um, you know all of these clothes are um, polyester, they are non-degradable, they just go to you know landfills and then you know it's just pollution of the environment. Um, so we kind of you know have this uh, had this idea where, what if we created sort of a social network where you could share clothes with others in the community? Um, and we found that every outfit, uh, obviously, with every, every outfit that is shared, we kind of are able to calculate the carbon dioxide offset. We are able to tell the user how much water you saved. Um So, yeah, I mean, collectively, I think we we also see a lot of attraction. We see especially uh, the, the Gen Z um, really being, um, you know, very aware of of the choices they are making um, in the buying behavior, and um, that that does tend to uh, you know, um, it's it's very obvious when we when we look at our data. Obviously, you do have a large set of millennials who who are already you know um, doing this, but I mean, to focus on a on Gen Z, exam, for example, who possibly have less purchasing power because of where they are in life. Um, And then to think that they are also interested in making choices that are more sustainable for the environment and not just because let's buy something because it's cheaper. So I think that awareness um, um, has done wonders for for us and our community, essentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, change in trends in um, how we shop is is ultimately the, the the kind of a newfound power uh to to move the world to yeah. you know to a better place. Um the you know certain certain kind of backgrounds or generations uh, have been pushing on speed uh rather than thinking on a longer term basis. So this is something that we yeah. you know find ourselves in as a situation. Um and yeah fashion is indeed uh has a massive problem for all of the consumer um segments not yeah. just from a perspective of being in the end affordable but uh for you know future generations when it comes to sustainability um i'm not sure you know i haven't checked the statistics but um from you know from my background knowledge the uh there is also a massive proportion of the goods that have been destroyed because um you know the, the the fashion industry is unable to forecast properly um so hopefully you know as we gather more data um in the segment we'll also be able to sort of minimize um the production of the new goods and potentially just limit ourselves to you know a few goods that could have could be shared which is what what new ultimately uh, offers to its users
1: Yeah, so actually, it's very interesting, Alex, and we continuously talk about uh, like the B2B side of things at new as well. Right. So there is one aspect of of new where, you know, um, obviously consumers are using the product and that's fine. But, uh, you know, what about um, the brands, for example? So we've had like ongoing conversations with uh, with brands, uh, with clothing brands um, in the UK, and all of them are actually interested in knowing how much. actually like what is the life of of the clothing itself so how many mm-hmm. hands did it change uh you know, mm-hmm. what was what was the point of- was able to sustain itself, uh, right? And that secondary market, I think is very, very important for from a brand point of view as well. So, I mean, going forward, um, we are going to be looking at doing that as well. So if we could, you know, just like integrate with brands, you know, get the customer um, data and ask them, hey, would you like to, you know, be interested in providing like a second life to your clothing? And automatically, I think we can just potentially create like a new um, account for the user, we already know what you've bought from, for example, you know, any brand we could pull in that data, show you that and say, hey, you know, relist this item um on new. And that way we have like a complete visibility on the life cycle mm-hmm. of the product itself. Um, Whereas, you know, increasing um, the more time the product spends in the market, obviously the better it is for the environment.
0: Absolutely. And th- there's going to be finally an incentive for, for the brands to push more for the quality of the produce rather than just you know, push all of the yeah. newest and not always the greatest ideas, um, to the market, um, and really just try to cash out. Right. So if, if we move yeah. the attention to other ways of, you know, revenue or other ways of, um, effectively, uh, you know, getting to the profit, yeah, right. Um, if you think about it from a brand perspective, you don't really have, you know, your, um, kind of, uh, labor cost. you don't have, you know, additional material cost, which is quite substantial or marketing costs for that matter. Okay. If you are, you know, indeed onboarded onto the platform like that. Um, cause the, you know, there's yes. a certain cir- circulation that comes with that. Um, and potentially brands could, uh, could also charge, uh, you know, a percentage for that just to push their Excellent. incentive towards this. That's a, a really interesting yeah. um, dynamic that, uh, that I'm sure you're observing. Um, but you mentioned, um, yeah. you know, a, a notion of, you know, for different kind of a consumer base. So the gens that's basically being very different in their consumption habits, um, yeah. you know, from a product yeah. perspective from from a usage perspective. What else have you outlined, you know, are there any learning points that um, that, that we should be aware mm-hmm. of when, when looking uh, to communicate to the Gen Z as a consumer? Yeah, I
1: mean, obviously, you know, the language that they use, um, I mean, the terms that they use, the way they are discovering today um, on, on different platforms, you know, like, the, you know, they, so it, we kind of run ongoing user research, mm-hmm. um, in the UK and as well as in the US, because we are looking to launch in the US um, sometime in this coming quarter. Um, so it is important. It was very important for us to first identify, OK, what is the 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 target audience that currently exists on the platform? And if we do choose to move countries, what is the difference or what is the similarity in the way, you know, uh, usage exists? Um, so fortunately for us there isn't like a lot of difference in what they are liking in terms of you know like in terms of fashion the 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 changes um basically i think what we realize is how they discover is like they have like i imagine myself being you know like a 20 122 year old and i you know we weren't disco- discovering trends like people are discovering today on for example tiktok like the clean girl or you know like grandma fashion. And they there are, you know, specific terms for 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 discovery. Um, so, so the, the platform essentially has to be able to support that discovery behavior uh, at the top of the funnel, essentially. Um, the other uh, uh, the other interesting thing for me was that, uh, you know, I mentioned it in the in the beginning as well, but through these researches, I realized how aware they were um, and how much time they were actually spending in looking at when they purchase a piece of clothing, looking at, oh, what is this? Is this cotton? Is this mm. linen? You know, what is it made? Of? The composition. Um, and yeah. I am, you know, very, yeah. And I'm like, again, like as a 21 year old, I, I don't think I was aware of um of, of those kind of things at all. So you do notice that they're very, very aware of the choices um, they're making. Right. Um, And they also have a habit of kind of splitting their wardrobe in the sense that, Oh, this is something that I'm going to, this is like, they, they, they purchase clothing by looks. So this is kind of like a look I'm going to put together everything. So I think that also kind of changed my idea of how do I bring that behavior essentially into the platform. So if someone is purchasing like a top, for example, what will go better with it? Right. Um, hey, so why don't you buy this bundle this together and create a look and then, you know, um get it, essentially uh swap swap it or get it. Um so 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 all of those things I think small um the way so there isn't like too much of a difference in um um in how they the appro the approaches. Mm-hmm. Um the the cost also doesn't seem to be bothering them because we do charge a commission, although it is just a pound. Um it might be having, it might have a different cost in the U.S. Be, it will be very, very low. Uh, but still, I mean, that didn't seem uh, like a problem. They were all willing to pay that much for for the environment to be sustainable. Uh, we also display like a lot of things when you, um, when you see an item like, hey, this will be your carbon offset. This will be the amount mm-hmm. of water you save. And I think that, um, you know, kind of hit home uh, with them. But... One thing that I would like to also point out, interestingly, between the difference in the Gen Z and the millennial behavior is what happens with the Gen Z is the transaction is much faster. So the way new works is basically you have to upload something to get something in return, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have to maintain sort of a critical mass of supply. You can't be... Holding things, and you can't be like you know just taking from the platform. Mm. You have to give something in return. Um, so we do see that Gen Zs, if they do upload something, you get a token. Mm. So that like everything is underpinned by a token value. So we're not creating a pricing distinction in the market, and I think that is one of our biggest appeals uh, for for a, from an from an outsider perspective. That for us, every item is a silver token because it's fast fashion you upload something, it's going to be a silver token, unless it is very something that's very, very unique, like from a very, very, you know, like a from a bigger brand or from a from expensive brand, it's not going to get a gold token, we only have those two kind of distinctions. Um, but essentially, you get a token, and you can just swap it for anything on the mm-hmm. platform. So it's not like a one to one exchange, it's just like you can get anything else in return, um, as long as you've uploaded something and gotten that coin. The Gen Zs definitely uh, spend that coin a lot faster mm. than the Millennials. The Millennials are more like, "Oh, I'm uploading something. I might keep this coin, and I will spend it when I see something nicer." Mm. But the Gen Z is like more into rotating their wardrobes more instantaneously.
0: That's yeah. yeah. That's an interesting insight. I think uh, if we, you know, if if the if the habits of you know. Updating the wardrobes on a continuous basis, and fast fashion would have been, you know, paired together. We would have been in a disastrous, you know, situation um, when it comes to uh, to generally working conditions and sustainability. So it's it's um, in a way essential what you do uh, because I, I mean the alternative is is, uh, is is just we we can't face that um, as a you know as a society. So that's that's phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing. You know the the outlook of the Gen Z as a the consumer. Um, they're they're truly very very different uh, in you know psychological kind of an outlook and um, how that translates to the shopping behavior um, is is equally very interesting. So, of course, you know, you've worked across uh, quite, you know, quite significant industries in the past. So healthcare, travel, uh, fashion, overall, what drew you to to join you? What was the the kind of, you know, a ticking moment where you thought, wow, this is the mission I want to I want to be part of.
1: So obviously, I mean, I am used to working in early stage startups. And that's what I have been doing for the last like um for the last ten years, um, so I knew that a, a startup is 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 where I would looking uh, where I would look to go to. Um, after that, I think it was just a question of, of obviously the mission and what the company was for, and can I see myself as a user? Because that just makes uh, things that much easier if you um, you know saw yourself as a user, and that was the first thing that I felt with new that oh, this is something that I would use. Mm. So obviously there was that pull, and I think, but for me, I think it is more important that um you know there is a sort of a natural synergy between uh the team because when you are going to come at a senior level um and work with the ceo um uh, directly and the COO directly um in terms of like working with the founding team there has to be sort of you know um there has to synergy. be a lot of, like one a compliment yeah one a complementary yeah, skill set and also like a lot of understanding that is um, understanding that is needed. I also knew that at that time we were still trying to um, raise our seed round, so things would be difficult. And I think when is when there is those kind of external pressures, it's more important that you find someone that you think that you can potentially work with in the long run. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had conversations with uh, with uh, with Ash, and uh, she was brilliant. And I was like, yeah, I mean, um, this is this is I think a good natural fit for me. Um, so. So that was why.
0: (laughs) Yeah, brilliant.
1: Basically, I think that was like a big variable in my decision-making process, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the alignment—it's um, oftentimes it's it's not really appreciated the need um for an early stage you know team to to be completely aligned, and so much in fact is is dependent on that. That you know, one step in the wrong direction could actually lead you to um some of the horrible, you know, circumstances up till, you know, closing the mantra altogether. So it's, um, you know, the the power of the initial team is, um, is you know, not to be missed on. Absolutely. Super. Yeah. And um, uh, Anushree, you also spoke earlier that, you know, right before uh, joining you, you actually completed an additional degree in human-computer interaction. And that is effectively attached to your kind of interest and, uh, you know, your focus on a user centric design. Could you talk a little bit more yes. about that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I had been working, you know, for a while and what happens is I think when you, when you go from, uh, uh one startup to the other, you, or you sometimes, you know, there is fatigue, you kind of get, get tired of doing, um, I think the same thing. So i've always tried to in, in some sense upskill uh, myself um so you know either it is like going back to learning designing so i learned how to design from scratch uh, because a lot of things in smaller teams sometimes get uh, lost in translation uh mm-hmm. and it i just realized very quickly that it was way better for me to draw something out and say hey i think this is this might work um so I knew that that was like an important um, skill for me to pick up, and I think that is what ultimately kept driving, um, you know, eventually through my journey. I've, I I did a lot of user research as well. Then I realized uh, maybe there is a more like formal understanding um, of of this process, just because you cannot bias yourself, and unless you are trained um, in 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 conducting proper user research, um, that you will never get sort of you know um, good feedback. So mm-hmm. uh, I think those were kind of decisions that um, that that drove me. I'm I'm anyway very uh, sort of ac- academically inclined. Um, so I knew that I wanted to study, but it was not sort of a traditional MBA. I just wanted to mm-hmm. study that would make make essentially my process of building something and my understanding of how technology and you know um, interactions have evolved over a period of time. So, yeah, I mean, that has really, I I mean, the degree that I did, uh, it also gave me a break from working, right? And it gives you an opportunity to kind of step back and say, oh, um, you know, hey, you know, what happens in startups is you learn the most optimized ways to design something. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, I know this is the most optimized way in in which checkout is going to work, in which this flow is going to work, in which onboarding might work. Uh, But that was, that feels at times like you are not thinking out of the box. So all of the projects that I kind of did in college, I refrained from designing anything and I would be like, no, I, you know, I don't want to do this. And I think that gave me a lot of opportunity to see, um, how someone else would think about the same thing. Um, and kind of, you know, it was like a good, interesting experience for me. Um, but in terms of, um, being, um, I mean, have been passionate about user-centered design. So basically, one is, like I said, I always think of myself as a user in in every phase of the user journey, right? Uh, What happens is when you become too familiar with a product and when you're too immersed, you start basing your decisions um, on the biases that you've made over a period of time, right? But I also, people that I have in my team, I always tell them, you know, don't take my word for it, don't you know, work on your, let's just validate it. It it is important to be data assisted. It is also important to rely on good user research and continuously working on them. So we use like an iterative design process where we start with the business goals for the quarter. We align that, uh, we do user research. And then um, we just create a first paper-based prototype. Uh, We run tests on them very quickly by iterating um, and then internally, externally. So we use that as you know a basis for um for our high fidelity or for our proper designs even after we do the the designs it goes through um like a like a design review kind of process where we create like click, clickable prototypes and give that to our user uh, and say hey let's segment the user let's talk to someone who's uploaded let's talk to someone who's walked before let's talk to someone else let's see how that feedback comes through um, and then, then it basically goes into, uh, development. And I'm a big believer of, of doing this um, iterative process and not just like, um, launching some, trying to launch something very mm. quickly. And then, uh, I mean, there will always be times where you will retract and you will say, oh, this didn't work. I thought it would, that's totally fine. Um, but I think you're always, when you are in a startup, it's always a race against time. And I think the more prepared yeah. you are,
0: uh, yeah.
1: the better the results. Indeed.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, um. Um from you know on the one hand, you can't really go with your gut feel at all of the times, no matter how good you know you know yep. your user and even if you've been you know in a in an industry for twenty years or for for ten years. Um, you can't just take your own thinking as, you know, definitely the user would like it because we don't know because we don't have a data to support that argument. Uh, but also, you know, not get on the other hand, you know, not getting way too much into that kind of a perspective of, you know, you have to test everything like quite rigorously. Um, I feel, you yeah. know, especially at the early stage startups. You, you know, you usually operate with limited budget, like limited time, and you got to make really tough calls because, you know, proposing one feature of yes, you know, another feature could cost you some of the users, some users might switch. So it's it's a bit, it's it's a very like tactically and strategically calculated move that you do on every single day basis to make sure that overall the product is moving forward and you know step by step you're accumulating that critical mass of loyal users that are going to continue using your product and and give you really good recommendations and potentially will bring in the referrals so again, couldn't agree yeah. more it's uh it's it, it's tougher than than it sounds, right because when you're right there uh you know making those decisions you don't know only once you do the testing you know, but then you lose a bit of a time but importantly again the the budget yeah. is is something that um you know a lot of uh, a lot of teams might be condensed on, so uh, I suppose it's it's also you know brought in into the calculation.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, surprisingly, our user base is very, very involved. Our community is very, very good. Um, and usually when we send out, hey, we want to chat to you, we are um, we are pleasantly surprised how many people do sign up. I mean, when we read, even when we do kind of surveys, um, people write like such long things. So, I mean, in that sense, at least we are not struggling to find users that want to talk to us. And I think the other thing that we do try to do as well as to get uh, um, team members from every kind of department involved as well so they listen in as well and they say hey you know um, and I think the the best kind of uh, I think the more positive I think one of the 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 most interesting things about Noom at least is like every team member is not like we, we come to the meeting all the time I was like oh I was surprised by this I didn't think that would be true and then you know we just kind of like yeah. say okay yeah this is this is good let's do this you know so yeah. we let ourselves be surprised. That's good. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> We're not yeah, like,
1: uh, too attached to any of the, uh, any of the preconceived ideas that we'd had before. So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the user is evolving, right. Uh, the more users that come into the platform, the more, you know, numbers change, uh, behavior changes. And so we have to kind of create an, a room for that too, for yeah. us, for ourselves to keep also,
0: yeah, changing the importance of keeping an open minds, no way. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, So, you know, we've touched upon, you know, the the point that you've had an experience, of course, across different industries, but also you've, you know, you've moved through building the products in multiple countries, which is, you know, U.S., India, now the U.K., What are the kind of core differences between, you know, building products and product teams and geographies that you've worked in, like looking back, uh, you know, at all of those experiences and your current role with new, what are the key learnings that you believe you've accumulated that really help you in your, in your role today?
1: Yeah. So, um, I moved to India around in, um, in 2014, when the startup scene was just kind of, uh, exploding. So I had mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I had great opportunities across different industries. Um, India does tend to be more price sensitive. Um, so if you're trying to build, for example, in e-commerce in travel, there is a, heavy, there is a lot of focus in optimizing, uh, that piece as well, not just delivering the best possible service, but is it the cheapest service as well? Because that becomes a very, uh, larger factor in sometimes in decision making mm. for the user. Um, I was also you know, quite exposed to the end customer as well because of the nature of the product roles that I did in the beginning. Um, so essentially working with a lot of people who weren't as internet savvy and even at times were just mm. getting used to using technology and then uh, through 2017, 2016, there was like a huge kind of explosion of, um, of you know, cheaper data, which led to building, um, which I mean, which led to cheaper internet services in every part of India that you can imagine. And uh, the focus, so India has never been like website first, it's always been mobile app first. Uh, mm-hmm. So unlike the US where think that oh, you're going to even till that time, not so much anymore, where you think that I need to build like a proper website, people don't do any kind of uh, browsing on it's just apps. Um, so there is always a like a mobile first culture so I learned uh, that I learned very sort of skills of building for mobile of reading that data of analysis in that sense. Um, there's also a focus, I think, in on creating sort of a more audio based. Uh, visual content, even at that time, because uh, I was, I mean, I was working in products that were being used by people sometimes who didn't know how to, um, how to read or possibly uh, would read in vernacular languages, not in English, so in Hindi, so then, Mm. you know, translations building for different kind of languages, how that, how does that discovery work basically on, on, on Google, um, figuring out that SEO. So, so yeah, I think overall that in that experience has been very, very, um, dynamic. So I would say building in India is very, um, I mean, it is rewarding for sure, but it is also sometimes very, very extremely, uh, chaotic, I would say, um, at times because things things change very quickly. You have to pivot very mm. quickly. Um, and there is no downtime where you can actually think about oh, the, if this is the best thing for the user, right? Because, mm. Because of the circumstance and there is 10 other, you know, 10, there's different factors, there is people who are investing, there are people who are trying to do the same thing as you are. Um, So in that sense, yes, I I do think that it is, it, it can be a bit overwhelming. Um. Compared to, I think, building in the US where the process was more structured and, you know, people do follow a lot of very, very proper, they're very religious about following the agile cycles, defining the tickets properly, mm. and then saying, I'm going to do this like in a very, in a more process oriented manner. So I mean, there is benefits to to both approaches. Um, and I've worked in both kind of environments where you just have to understand what is the need of the hour and kind of, uh, you know, adapt yourself to it and keep moving forward.
0: Wow. um, That's, that's really interesting to, to learn um, sort of an insight as well about the Indian consumer um, where uh, essentially your, you know, your search, you know, you're not looking at Google, you're not looking at web performance, it's, it's all mobile. Um, And you mentioned that things change really, really quickly. Um, I suppose this is, you know, I hope that you view that in a way that this is a good kind of a school, right, to have, because, when you are lacking on a time, you know, you have to make the important decisions quickly and you really have to prioritize, which is what, you know, PMs do all the time. So you really learn, you know, to structure your priorities correctly with always, you know, kind of a view on the user. So silver lining out there.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely,
0: yeah. Brilliant. Well, Anutri, this had been an amazing, you know, tiny, small, deep dive into, you know, into your experience, into your career. Thank you so much for sharing your story with, uh, with me and with, with all of the listeners today. Really appreciate that. It's Thank been you. phenomenal from my perspective. Really, really enjoyed having you uh, online here and uh, definitely looking forward yeah. to speaking with you again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.